Welcome back to Parkside Green's Fall Bible Study. Uh, Pastor Steve with you, just looking forward to learning from God's Word together today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the Labor Day weekend and, and you're ready to dive into Luke chapter 8. Uh, but since we're picking up the story kind of partway through, let's just spend a minute with a real quick review of where the story has come so far. In chapter 1, of Luke, you may remember that John the Baptist is born to elderly and barren parents. And then in chapter 2, Jesus is born to virgin parents, and, and he develops as a boy. We hear about him as a 12-year-old. Uh, chapter 3, John is preparing the way for Jesus, whose genealogy is given to us. And then in chapter 4, we see Jesus resisting the devil's temptations. He's rejected at his hometown of Nazareth, you remember. He heals a lot of people, and he preaches throughout Judea. Chapter 5, Jesus calls his disciples. He heals more people, and he forgives sin, which only God can do. Chapter 6, Jesus explains the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath, and he preaches a very famous sermon, similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Chapter 7, Jesus heals the sick, he raises the dead, and he forgives sin. Again, and then the first three verses of chapter 8, which we concluded with, Jesus is continuing to preach the good news of God's kingdom. He heals many women, and they support him financially. And that brings us to the passage for this week, which will further sharpen the picture of Jesus. It's going to bring into even clearer focus who Jesus is and what he expects of his followers. Now, if you're using the notes that I send out with the message, there are two main headings for us. The first is hearing and doing in verses 4 to 21, and the second is commanding and healing in verses 22 to 39. So we start with the crucial theme of hearing and doing God's Word in verses 4 to 21. The setting is given there in verse 4. A great crowd was gathering. Our people from town after town were coming to see Jesus. Uh, Matthew and Mark tell us that the crowd was so big that Jesus actually got into a boat and uh, pushed out a little way into the sea so that the whole crowd on the beach could see him. Then Jesus tells the crowd a parable which uses physical examples to help people understand spiritual truths. And when his disciples ask Jesus what the parable means, he explains it to them. So, we know from verses 5 and 11 that the sower or the farmer who went out to sow his seed stands for Jesus or his disciples or any of us who speak God's word to people. See, when we share the exact same message from God with different people, we should expect varied responses depending on who receives it. So don't be surprised. Expect varied responses to God's word, just like Jesus did with this big crowd he was addressing. Seed sown along the path that's trampled underfoot and is eaten by birds stands for those who hear the word, but the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 tells us that Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So as we share God's word with others, 
we need to be praying for them, right? That God would shine into people's hearts so that they can know God's glory in Jesus. As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, there is spiritual warfare whenever God's word is proclaimed. The seed sown on rocky ground that has no moisture or no deep soil stands for those who hear the word and immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root because there's just a, a thair, thin layer of topsoil that dries out as it sits above a, a layer of limestone or rock. So after believing for a while, they fall away when a time of testing comes, when, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Sometimes we see that a temporary, superficial response looks like a real commitment, but its true nature comes out when the person is tested or persecuted because of the word. Then there's the seed that fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked it so that it yielded no grain. This stands for those who hear the word, but the cares of this world and, and delight in riches and pleasures of life prevent any fruit from maturing. Compared with most human history, I think we would agree that most of us listening to this message live in a prosperous time and place. So as we go on our way through life, we have to watch out that we don't get caught up in the deceitfulness of worldly cares or pleasures or, or desires for other things, Mark tells us. If we get caught up in the, the cares and riches and, and pleasures of this life, it will choke out our fruitfulness for God's eternal kingdom. Lastly, the seed that fell on the good soil and grew and, and yielded a hundredfold stands for those who hear the word and they hold it fast in a good and honest heart, bearing fruit with patience. See, the only right response to God's word is to accept it and hold on to it in an honest and good heart that leads to lasting fruit. And, and that speaks to us as those who hear God's word on a regular basis from Pastor Adam on Sunday and with Bible study and in your daily devotions. And it also encourages us to keep sowing, keep on sowing the seed of God's word with patience, trusting God to bear the fruit. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we plant and we water and God gives the growth. I think what Jesus teaches here matches real life, doesn't it? <laughs> When a group of people hears God's word, some respond with rejecting hearts and Satan keeps them from believing. Others respond with an initial belief, but it's a shallow commitment and it withers later on. As others make their way through life, they show that their highest priority is the cares and riches and pleasures of this life that chokes out their spiritual fruitfulness. Then there are those who, by God's grace, hold on to God's word with good hearts and are changed. They, they bear fruit with patience or perseverance through a lifetime. You probably notice that all four groups hear God's word. Maybe you underlined or circled the word hear, hearing, or heard, which is repeated in verses 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. But there are three wrong ways to hear and only one right way to hear. As we see in verse 10, it's possible to hear, but not understand. 
For some people, Jesus' parables conceal, but for others, they reveal. So we want to ask God to give us, Lord, will you give us to know the secrets of your kingdom, as it says in verse 10. If we hear God's word rightly, then we're going to hold it fast and bear fruit with patience. And also, we won't keep it to ourselves. As Jesus says in verse 16, no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a jar or puts it under a bed, but you put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. When we receive the light of God's word, we don't want to hide it, but share it with others. In the end, on the day of judgment, everything will be made manifest or come to light. Jesus says, so we want to take care how we hear and how we respond to God's word. When we hear carefully, with good, honest hearts, bearing fruit with patience, then Jesus says more will be given to us. But if we're like those first three kinds of soil and we hear carelessly, even what we think we have will be taken away, he says. You see, everyone who is part of God's true family will be marked by hearing and doing God's word. And you see that in verses 19 to 21. Jesus' mother, Mary, his brothers, they couldn't reach him because of that huge crowd on the beach. But the word apparently got passed to Jesus that his family desired to hear him. And Jesus responded by saying that his ultimate family is not a matter of physical kinship, but of hearing and doing God's word. It's not enough just to, to have the, the sound waves enter our ears to hear in that sense. No, the picture is sharp for us. If you are good soil, if you're part of Jesus's family, you're going to truly receive God's word and you're going to put it into practice. You're going to act on it. So as you tie it all together, you can see that really the entirety of verses 4 to 21 is about rightly hearing and doing God's word. That's our first section. The second section from verses 22 to 39 is on Jesus commanding and healing. We'll start out with Jesus commanding. He, he and his disciples were sailing across the lake in a boat. And along the way, Jesus fell asleep, actually on a cushion in the stern, Mark tells us. And then, as sometimes does happen on the Sea of Galilee, a great windstorm descended on the lake and stirred up the water so much that the waves were breaking into the boat, putting them in danger by nearly swamping it with water. And somehow, I don't know how, with the waves crashing in and water splashing on his face and panicked voices all around, Jesus is sleeping soundly. Well, what to do? Go wake up Jesus. Let the master know that you're on the brink of perishing. And, and Matthew and Mark and Luke here all report how Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves so that they ceased. And there was a great calm. Then Jesus questioned why their fear was so big, his disciples, and why their faith was so small. We're all like that sometimes, aren't we? Big fear, little faith. The disciples then marveled at Jesus, asking each other what sort of man this was. Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? And remember, they'd already seen Jesus heal lots of people. 
and even raised someone from the dead just in the previous chapter, Luke 7. But seeing Jesus command creation by calming the storm, among them some veteran fishermen, it somehow stunned these disciples even more. Right? The picture was becoming even sharper. Jesus is the Lord of nature, of creation. And as we'll see in our last section, verses 26 to 39, Jesus is also Lord of demons. Not just storms, but evil spirits also obey Jesus. The rest of the boating trip, I imagine, was a lot smoother with the lake kind of glassy now, calmed down that storm, and the, the group arrives at the country of the Gerasenes, probably on the eastern shore of the sea, opposite of the region of Galilee. And as soon as Jesus set foot on dry land, it seems, he was met with a man from the nearby city, a, a man who had demons. And this was no recent problem. Luke tells us that for a long time, this demonized man had not worn clothes or lived in a house. Instead, he roamed naked among the tombs, so fierce, Matthew says, that no one dared pass by. Stay away. <laughs> but of course, that's what Jesus doesn't do. Instead, he engaged the man and the demons also, who knew exactly who Jesus was, Right, as the man fell down before Jesus, he asked in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And in Matthew 8, 29, the follow-up question is, Have you come here to torment us before the time? You see, the demons know that they will be tormented for their rebellion eventually, but they seem worried here that Jesus may be ahead of their expected timetable. So Luke explains that after Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, the spirit begged Jesus not to torment him. This demon had many times seized the man and broke the chains and the shackles that people tried to use to control him. It drove the man into this deserted area. Mark adds that night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, the man was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You see, he experienced social isolation and demonic self-destruction. When Jesus asked his name, he replied, Legion, because many demons had entered the man. They seemed to know that their final destination will be the abyss, probably the lake of fire mentioned elsewhere in scripture, but they begged Jesus for now to let them enter that large herd of pigs on the nearby hillside. If they can't destroy the man, they'll destroy the pigs. And Jesus permits it, and the whole herd of 2,000 pigs, Mark gives us that detail, rushed down the steep bank into the lake where they were drowned. Now, we may have a lot of questions here that the Bible does not answer for us, right, about why the demons wanted to inhabit the pigs, and exactly how does that work with demons and animals, or why Jesus allowed it? Why did he permit that? And what happened to the demons when the pigs that they were in died? All we know is what God has revealed to us, which is, after witnessing the pig's suicidal stampede, the pig herders ran to tell it to others in the nearby city and the surrounding country. 
And we can imagine this would have been the big event of a, a sleepy Thursday afternoon in this region. So people came to see the aftermath for themselves. But now the focus shifts from the pigs, which are presumably floating in the water, to the transformed man. No longer naked, he was clothed. No longer demon-possessed, he was healed. No longer isolated among tombs, crying out and cutting himself, he was sitting at Jesus' feet and in his right mind. And then, after the eyewitnesses retold the story of how it happened, the locals were seized with great fear, and they asked Jesus to depart from them. So it seems these people were not examples of good soil. Perhaps they feared Jesus' power, or perhaps they feared more economic loss, right? No pig-drowning insurance policies back in the day. But their fear, sadly, does not draw them to Jesus, who honors their request and heads back to the boat to return to Galilee. Now, the formerly demonized man begged to be with Jesus, but Jesus told him to return home. What a homecoming that would have been for this man and declare how much God had done for him. Sure enough, this man was good soil and he obediently proclaimed through the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Did you notice the equivalence between what God had done for the man and what Jesus had done for him there in verse 39? What God does and what Jesus does are one in the same. Hmm. Hmm. The picture has sharpened even further, hasn't it? If Jesus can command the winds and the water and they obey him, and if Jesus can command a legion of demons and they obey him, and if demons who break chains must beg permission from Jesus, and if Jesus can transform an unchainable, naked, loud, self-cutting man into a sane, clothed, enthusiastic evangelist, then who exactly is this Jesus? The Son of the Most High God, as it says in verse 28, the Lord of the physical world and the spiritual world? Yes! Yes, and since that is so, how should we respond to this Lord of all? Three thoughts. Number one, hear the right way. Hear the right way. When Jesus speaks, hold it fast in a good and honest heart, bearing fruit with patience. Take care how we hear. Jesus' family are those who hear God's word and do it. Secondly, believe the right person. Believe the right person. When a windstorm of life descends on us and we are in danger, fearful of perishing maybe even, do what the disciples did. Go to Jesus. Don't get paralyzed with fear. Put our trust in Jesus. He commands the physical world and the spiritual world. He is powerful over all that might seem to threaten us. So believe the right person and go to him. Thirdly and finally, share the right message. Share the right message. If you're a follower of Jesus, then he has freed you from the powers of sin and darkness, just as he did the man in this week's story. Jesus calls us to go to people that we know and declare to them how much God has done for us. Once we're converted, we are called to evangelize. So share the right 
message. Let's pray. Father, as we hear your word today and day by day and and week by week, we ask you to give us honest and good hearts so that we can hold fast to your word and bear fruit with patience. We confess that sometimes we get stuck with inertia. So we ask you to work through your spirit to empower us to hear your word and to do it. We praise your son Jesus, the Lord of all creation, which obeys his commands. And we praise you for Jesus' compassion, his, his grace for people like the man in this story. And for each one of us, Lord, turning us from darkness to light and, and from the power of Satan to God. And thank you for putting us in our right minds and then deputizing us to be ambassadors of your good news. Thank you that we get to share this message of the gospel with others. Through Jesus, our powerful and loving Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen.